welcome back to a very special episode of the What The Folk Sunland Review Show. But uh, this week we won't be reviewing a match. We'll be reviewing a television show because unless you live under a rock, you can't fail to have noticed that by the time you listen to this, season three of Sunland Till I Die is out on Netflix. So Sunland fans can finally be treated to a positive ending. Um, we are recording this the night before it's officially released, but we've been... Incredibly lucky to get a preview of the show last week, which we've all managed to watch. And to be honest, we've all been absolutely buzzing to speak about it because we, well, thoroughly enjoyed it. It's really hard not to if you're a Sunland fan, considering, like I say, you all know how it ends. Um, But we've been binging on it and we've been wanting to talk about it and we're finally allowed to by the time this is released anyway, which will be the day that it is able to be listened to. And if you're listening to this now, you're either a couple of hours away from being able to listen to it, although I imagine you're listening to this as you're waking up, which means it is now available to watch on Netflix UK. Um, to join me and review the show is the usual team, more or less, missing just one person. First and foremost, Ross, uh, are you looking forward to getting stuck into speaking about good Sunland memories and a, a good TV show? Aye, definitely, like you say it. It was nice to have a positive outlook on the club for once. Um, and this, see, I think season one was raw for how it happened. Season two, for me, was a bit too much based around the chances. Yes, this one was, it just hit all the right spots and the, it was just poignant throughout. And to me, it was, it was really enjoyable to watch it and know I had a happy ending. <laughs> Whereas the last few times, like, oh, do we have to really relive this? So, I definitely, uh, I was great. I really enjoyed it. I thought you were going to say, um, <laughs> had a little bit too much green fog in for my liking in season two, but no, well done. Thanks very much for not saying that. You could have done that. That would have been quite easy. I, w- I was waiting for that one. We were going to compare the series. So, you, 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 you read me mind well. Lee, uh, are you looking forward to getting stuck into it, mate? You all right? I am, mate, yes. I am really looking forward to getting stuck in. Just to echo what Ross said, um, the whole thing was meant to be about sun until I die. Well, like season two went away from that to focus on two people who don't have the just deserves to talk about sun and even be associated with sun. So it was nice to get back to the roots of what it actually was, and that was the people of the football club. And it's just nice, it's nice to revenge now to chew the fat off it. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely, mate. And last but never least, uh, Brad, are you looking forward to getting... Stuck into some good Sunland chat and lovely Sunland things. I am indeed, mate, and uh, hopefully I can have some retweets this time saying I've seen you crying on Netflix for the right reasons. <laughs> um, but yeah, echo what the other two said. It is sort of brings the story to a close. I'm mm-hmm. saying that as if it's like a made-up thing, but it's one of them things where we were hoping that season two, although it was shite, it was meant to finish on a high. And it was sort of like it's led up to this moment and it, it, it's, yeah, it's just a great way to finish the, the Sun Until I Die series and focus a lot on the people of Sunland again. Yeah, absolutely. And um, we're going to get more stuck into it, but I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Like I binged it all the, the first chance I had um, and I enjoyed season one and I enjoyed season two, probably season one slightly more. Um but I think with season three, and I think the series as a whole, I can completely understand why people have from all over the world have fallen in love with the football club. And I think I think this is gonna give people a feeling with season three of 
I think season one and season two, you could feel the love of a really hopeless football club that was just destined to fail, it seemed, continuously. And we always knew that there was a lot more than what was shown in those two first two seasons about this football club. And whilst winning a League One playoff final is not the pinnacle of this football club and probably never will be, I think it was the first glimmer of hope from some really positive times we've had over the last sort of 18 months. And I think the show encapsulates that really well. So I think anyone from outside of Sunderland or who wasn't a Sunderland fan before the show is going to watch season three. And essentially my original thought is they're going to go, oh my God, this football club is as big as these Sunderland fans have been telling us for ages. And I'll fully understand why they're there. This silly little football club rule their life and do numerous podcasts about it and just chat about these blokes in red and white shirts because, my God, I imagine being part of that crowd at Wembley and the other games and the things you saw must have been amazing. And I think it's just going to sell our club even better. Um, but, Ross, like first questions first. You've touched on it a little bit. Look, we've all enjoyed it. I think you can tell that much. Otherwise, we probably wouldn't have bothered doing this. But like, without giving too much away because we're going to go a bit more in depth, You know, what was when you finished watching it, what was your, your overall feeling after you'd finished watching the, the season in terms of like the entertainment value of it, I suppose? Um, I think from a Sullen fan perspective, it's a lot more entertaining because you know it's a good ending and you know what they what has happened has been a positive. Um, from a neutral, it's probably a bit more going down. I'd argue it's meant from our perspective because let's be honest, everyone's just took the piss out of us for it, and it's finally one way you load and go. Ah, we're not actually that much of a shit show anymore. I say not much asterisks, but at the same time, you know what I mean. Um. And it was good, so like you say, it went back with. I just felt a lot of pride at the end of it. You know, what I mean, that's that was my overriding, and without giving any spoilers away, it was a bit emotional. I think, I think it, it hit a chord, and um, the the series definitely named correctly, like Brad said. Of you, it's not written. Obviously, it all happened in real life, but to be fair, from a director's cut, you probably couldn't have asked for a start and end to finish the way it did. Mm. It's I think, quite a, a joint. It's like a journey, isn't it? Yeah, no, 100%. And I think um, we all, to kind of give clarity to everyone, we sort of watched it. I watched it first and then Ross watched it, I think, and then Brad watched it and then Lee watched it and then Dave watched it in preparation for doing this show. And like the chant is obviously we saw you crying on Netflix and stuff like that. Well, I, I don't know if we're all going to cry on Netflix, but um, if you're anything like the What the Folk lads, we all instantly messaged in the group chat just saying ah yeah it was this bit that got me this bit got me I won't give away which bits but we all at one point went yeah that got us and night after night it was like yeah you just this series is made to make us cry in one way or shape one shape in a, some shape size or form I'll get my words out in a minute um, and I think the best thing is that it was a positive tear and, and very much pride I think 100% that I felt at the end of it, but um, Lee, I don't know what more you can add to that, but in terms of the show itself, it, it does leave you at the end, doesn't it? As a Sunderland fan, feeling like a lot of pride because it, it showcases what we always felt our club should be, which seems weird because it's a League One player final, but I think that day at Wembley just, it could have been a World Cup final for the way that, you know, it felt at the time and the relief after the years of, well, half a decade, borderline a decade of not very good stuff. To me, it was quite rewarding because in our darkest times, I 
going down from the championship and then failing to get out of League One for so many years, a lot of people could have given up on the football club. And you could argue you wouldn't have blamed anyone for giving up on your football club, but it shows that in life, you if you don't give up on anything, you are rewarded by that little bit of light at the end of a tunnel and a bit of hope, which is how I felt. I felt like as a fan, like watching obviously we all knew what the ending was. But um, it's like the pain was arguably worth it when we got back to where we needed to be. If, in a way, without sounding too overly dramatic, I know it's only a game of football, and but it like it takes you, you know what I mean? It takes you on roads that you you go down on where you're depressed one week, then you're elated the next. And after all the shite we've been through, it felt rewarding at the end of it to eventually get a happy ending. And as you say, I've had the piss took out of us for God knows how many years for the first two seasons. So it was just nice to get something back that Sunderland fans could enjoy from the TV series. By the way, all the lads so far have mentioned that at the end of this TV show, they all had a happy ending. We mean that very much in the metaphorical sense, not the actual sense, just in case anyone is concerned. Um, Brad, I want to sort of throw a different question at you because I want to move on a bit um, into the actual nut and bolt of the show. I think as neutral fans, you probably really enjoyed season one and season two because... Look, there's parts in it that if you're not a Sunderland fan, it's probably quite funny. Like, I think, you know, the bit with Methven and Oscar, it, it is objectively quite funny, the PA system situation. Whereas I feel like season three, like, is, as a Sunderland fan, is the best. But do you think from a neutral fan's perspective, they're going to enjoy this season as much? Do you think it'll be, you know, just as enjoyable despite the fact it doesn't have those silly little things in because you see, like, the passion of a football club, or do you think this one's been made very much for for us lot and given us something back? It's a bit of both, really. I think it has been made to give the Sunderland fans something to be happy about at the end of it all. Now, it depends how you're talking as a neutral, because there's some people who are not neutral, right? They're just not Sunderland fans, so they've enjoyed seeing the demise, right? But there are a lot of people out there that have just enjoyed it for what it is and enjoyed and They've, they've talked about how much they've managed, they, they've like connected with the Sunderland fan base, how much they like didn't, they didn't realize how much the uh, football meant to us up here. So I think that from a neutral perspective, they'll equally be as happy to see a happy ending for us. From some of our rivals, I think <laughs> they won't be best pleased to see it because look, they enjoy taking the piss out of us. It's what football's all about, but. There's two ways really to look at it. I think a neutral neutral is going to enjoy it just as much as us without having the full emotion part of it. Um, because no matter what you watch, who doesn't enjoy a happy ending? Again, <laughs> not the me- metaphorical term. Metaphorical, uh, not physical. Um, hello, no. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's just... I think no matter what you... you you're always going to enjoy seeing a bit of happiness at the end. And especially that because throughout the, the three seasons, they've used pretty much the same fans and they've seen them down in the dumps and then to see them ecstatic at the end as well, I think, yeah, a lot of people are going to enjoy it. Not as much as us, but yeah. Yeah, I actually think that as well. Um because you're right in what you say. I think a lot of people connected with the first few seasons because of the fan base, not because of the, the silly stuff. But I think people connect with it because, again, we're going to get further into it. But 
the fans are very much prevalent in this one as well. And the feeling of what the football club means to the the city and its community is probably more pre- prevalent in this one than most of the other ones because you get to see what it means when we actually succeed as well as opposed to just how sad it makes you when we weren't doing well. Um, but there's tons of characters in it, Ross. And I think the the big thing for me, first and foremost, I want to come on to, we're going we're to go through as many characters in the show as we can. But there's a lot of Carol Louis Dreyfus in this one. Um, probably more than I anticipated, to be completely and utterly honest with you. Now, the first season we didn't really see Ellis Short, and it's it's quite funny how each season has had a different chairman. Um Ella Short's your first one, you sort of barely seen him towards the end you did, but it wasn't anything massively in depth. The second season you've seen pretty much everything about Stuart Donald and, and Charlie Methven. I wasn't entirely sure how we'd see Kirill in this. And whilst he's not dominated the series, there's a lot in it. And I think it was an interesting time to watch Kirill in a really personal setting about his life, his upbringing, what his dad meant to him and stuff that maybe takes away from, oh, he's just a 26-year-old billionaire which we all sort of know him as. And I think it's even more interesting based on the stuff that's happened recently, which we've spoken about in this podcast and it's obviously got nothing to do with the show, but how did you feel he, he sort of came across on it? Because I think it was a really interesting time for it to come out considering what's happened recently with him and the club and some decisions he's made. And also probably took me aback how deep they went into Carol's sort of story, I suppose, if you prefer. Um, did you think he came across well with it? Yeah, I think he came across genuine. I think that's how I'd compare. I think, let's be honest, if you're watching season two as a neutral, you click on straight away that these two were Methan and Donald don't have a fucking clue. Like, it's pretty straight away. Whereas, what obviously, just based off this alone, he speaks very clear, he's very calm, he's got his methods, he speaks out his methods, he's past, there's pretty, you know, it's all football related. Um. And it was interesting to find out how the whole takeover actually came about by playing football on Satori. And that's where the link clearly comes from. Um, everyone's always been like, how on earth do they know each other? It's got nothing to do with them, actually, like Satori's family, Monaco, or anything like that at all. It's just a case of they're, they've been in the same place together for a while playing football. And that's how the, the rich man's chat comes about. Oh, do you want to buy a football club? Oh, yeah, why not? You know, as you do. Um, but yeah, I think... I thought there'd be more speakmen to be honest, and there was a, there wasn't that much of speakmen if I'm honest, from what I expected, considering that squad was the squad that him and Stuart Harvey. But Stuart Harvey's not even on once, not even mentioned. He brought in all the players. He was a big part of that. Um. So yeah, I think it was. I think it was. It was more than expected, but it, it wasn't too much where it was overriding like Donald and Methvin. I think that's the fair assessment I can say of it, but. I didn't come away from it thinking he was, oh, he was the best in the world or he was, oh, he's horrible, he's useless. He just came across all right and give a bit of backstory to it, which helped continue the flow from where we where we left season two to where we were. I think if you're a neutral, you needed that backstory and you needed that personal involvement. I definitely felt like when um, he came on the screen, I was like, oh, no, this is going to be like the rewriting of stuff and how great a guy Kirill was and kind of do the PR machine a little bit like, uh, they did with Donald and, and Methven, where it was dominated by them in this season two. 
but I thought the the mix of how much he was in was really good. And look, I'm really vocally critical of Kyrie Redrefus, especially recently because of the situation. Well, I'm saying I'm really, I'm not the recent situation. I was very vocally critical of him. But if I'm looking at the show just itself, it was actually really good to see that he came across very much as a football man, which baffles me even more. Recent decisions and stuff like that, because I went, "Oh, you actually get it." Like, because look, it, the best thing about football is as follows. Doesn't matter if you've got a pound in the bank or you've got a million or a billion or a trillion in the bank. You cannot make your football team win that you support. It doesn't matter what you pay towards it. You can help it if you're rich and you buy the club and do it. But you still have a chance of losing that game. And I think ultimately, when it comes to Kirill, he came across like that, like he was a football fan and that he was kind of brought up in it. I mean, you've seen him with like... I mean, you did see him with Seth Blatter, I suppose, when he was talking about his mentors, but I think that was maybe just a bit of bad placement. Um, I think when you're looking at like him speaking about the people he was around and his dad and what football meant to him and how it was almost like a family and a community bond for him away from the money men that he would have grew up around because his family's obviously incredibly rich. I think he came across really well that like he bought the football club for the right reasons. Um. Obviously, we could go deeper into the decisions, but we're just looking at the show. And I thought he did come across really well. Um, probably baffled me a little bit more that he made the decision he made. I was involved in that decision a few weeks ago when I watched him. But I think I would have preferred to watch him like that and come across well and be baffled by some things that have happened recently, as opposed to watching him just going, nah, you know what? You just don't get it at all. If I'm honest, it renewed my faith in the fact that he's a football man, as well as an incredibly rich 26-year-old a little bit more and I don't know if that's just really good editing but I thought he did actually come across really well and a bloke that just loves football which is something that all of us can identify with if I'll be on a level par with him although we can never be on a level par with these bank balance um, we can sort of meet him in the middle with that but the same question to you I thought um, obviously Satori was part of, part of it as well what I felt came across exactly as I expected so I won't labour on that too much Um but I thought Kirill came across quite well. Do you have similar feelings or do you not have similar feelings? Yeah, I thought he came across really well. I thought it was particularly brave of him. You know, he could have hidden the shadows of it and just let, as you say, Speakman do his talking or start talking do his talking. But he didn't. He fronted it up and explained why he had to buy the club. But what I, I enjoyed the most was, you know, about like getting football and stuff, the way he explained, obviously, the departure of Lee Johnson and the way he did was renewed my faith that he would that he understands what needs to happen when it comes to like football and decisions and it's not just a knee jerk reaction to a few poor results. He sits and like carefully considered it and as I said, he was brave. And as I said, for a twenty six year old billionaire, he could have easily sat this one out and just let other people do his part for him, but he didn't. I think, yeah. you know, when you're looking at the the Lee Johnson bit, I thought that was really interesting because what he was saying when he said, you know, you could see that coming for weeks. He said, I knew this was coming and I don't think we're going to get promoted. It actually, looking back to that time and coming back from Bolton and drove back with my friend Hannah after that game. And I was like, this has been coming for weeks, this. And I was saying in the week's, 
leading up to it. And that's what I mean about I thought he was a football man. It wasn't like a business decision. He kind of went, I thought we weren't going to get promoted. And that was one of my most interesting parts for it. But talking to managers, and I saved this one for you, Brad. Alex Neal plays a huge part in it. And I'll tell you something. It really left me conflicted because I think me and you were probably, when it happened, people remember the Norwich review show. You were like, nah, bugger Alex Neal did the wrong thing, walked out. And I was like, no, 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 I don't know. Like, why has he left and all that? And lo and behold, Tony Mowbray fixes it. It's fine. We're getting the playoffs. Alex Neal does horrendously at Stoke and everything's fine. Um, so when I watched it back, I kind of was like, ah, oh, there you are, you little sod. Um, walking out in the club and yada, 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 and all the kind of feelings we have. But how did it feel for you seeing how much Alex Neal was part of that promotion and look, the fantastic job he did getting us out of it and how well he spoke about the fans and the little things that he said and sort of remembering how really funny and steelily, steely, de- steelily, steelily determined. I don't even know if that's a phrase, how much steely determination he showed, maybe we should say, um, that he was going to get something out of it. Like, you know, the stuff when he was saying like, uh, doesn't matter what's going on in the past, different team. Like, and remembering things like when he said, oh, you know, I'm not going to be intimidated by Sheffield United. What are we going to do? Boo. Like, stuff like that was funny and it's kind of, it's hard to forgive because of what happened. But like, at the time, we loved Alex Neal. We probably still respect him for what he did. Um, And that really conflicted me watching Alex Neal. I was like, bloody hell, yeah, he was... He was really good, really straight talking. He did what a job he did to get us up. He was the perfect man at the perfect time. Um, how did you feel about that part of it with Alex Neal? Because it was it was conflicting, wasn't it? I'll put it out there. I've never uh, been sat watching Netflix before and booed a character coming on the screen. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, look, we were massive fans of Alex Neal when he was here, and what that show does. It backs up exactly why we were such big fans of him and why it hurt so much when he walked out on us when he did. And even it, it, what it actually does, it makes me even more confused as to why. Because it seemed like he bought into the, the whole Sunland as a football club, the area. And then he's just walked away and it looked like he, he had trust in his players. He talked highly of his players. Um, and then you see the, the reaction at Sheffield Wednesday with the winner. And I love that camera angle where it's right up against him and you can hear his voice screaming and how much it meant to him. Um, uh, Yeah, like you say, it's a bit conflicting because what I get at the end is what was going through his head, how bad must it have been behind the scenes within the space of three months for him to go from where it was, finishing that season, to wanting to walk out on it in the way he did? Like, could it have, felt, could it have been that bad... It, People say about, I don't know, he hasn't been taught what he can do. He's been taught what he has to do on transfers. But we said from the start, it's all about the money. And all I'm thinking in my head now is, thank fuck we didn't give him a checkbook and say, you go and sign who you want, because look where his team is that he went to. And they're struggling. Um, But yeah, it was was nice to reminisce. It was nice to, to remember the good times that we had. Because look, I, I I completely forgot until I watched this back. His first three or four games, we were shite. And I thought when he came in, because we went on this was it 18, 19 game unbeaten run, 
obviously a bit into the championship. I completely forgot that we had about three or four games where we were absolutely woeful. Um, and we weren't winning. And I think all that was forgotten about because of the one we went on to. Um, but yeah, when it went good, it just brought back good memories for me. And look, I'm not going to ever say that memories are going to be ever bad. Um, it just leaves a sour, it leaves even more of a sour taste that now that's documented and it's out there for the world to see. And people are going to see it now from all over when people say, why did Alex Neal leave? I think they're going to be just as dumbfounded as us that he's literally went for the money and it hasn't worked. And he's going to watch this show back and regret the decision he made. And I think that's fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. Because I can't stand the bloke. I I was a huge Alex Neal fan. Um, and the longer things have gone on, the more I've probably softened towards what happened without... It, him managing or going to watch talk when we played Norwich will always rankle and if that wasn't there probably would be a bit more on his side and more understanding but I've spoke about Alex Neal to death I suppose and, and that side of it but I want to if I'm speaking about one bald man I need to go to another bald man which is Ross um, you may have a little bit more um, sympathy being both bald men Um how did you feel watching that Alex Neal stuff? Because like, I don't know, I, like I'm going to be honest, I watched it back and I was like, oh, I loved him. I absolutely loved him. Like, why the hell did he walk out? Very conflicted. Um, because you go back to that time and you remember like, of course you do. It, it is quite um, hazy your memory when you think back like the Burton game at home and the MK Dons game at home. We were absolutely shite. The MK Dons game... Brad will remember this. We didn't want to do a review show because we were so low about doing the review show. Me, Brad and Dave did a review show about um, our favourites on the memories. We just were absolutely pied off. Yeah. And again, so that was probably how everybody talked about the rock bottom being the Bolton. I think that was the rock bottom. And you, it, it shows it as well because everyone's like, what on earth happened? Like the taxi driver bloke, I forgot his name. Sorry. But he's obviously a fantastic Peter character for Peter Farrer. And he sums it up perfectly. Gone six weeks ago, you would have put your house on us getting promoted. Now we're not even going to get the playoffs. And that's how we felt. They're like everything just fell apart in six weeks. We, we were second top. We're, like, we're going to go for it. And it just crumbled. Mm-hmm. And the Doncaster game, obviously, you see that the pack stands out for Defoe's homecoming. And that Doncaster team got relegated and now fighting for relegation in League Two. They're terrible. And they came here and we were just we were done confidence. But yeah, going back to the original the original uh part question about Alex Neal and all that, it's just like it it, it was bittersweet because he, he did he was the right place at the right time. But look like say in hindsight, thank God we didn't give him the full reins because we've seen what he's done after that off the documentary. I think it's quite interesting when you watch that period of time. One bit that's kind of like built in with it is that Defoe was actually a really big part around that. He signed the same day as um, Johnson got sacked, so like a day later or something like that, because there was a lot of conversation around it. And I, I'm led to believe, I could be wrong with this, I've got no confirmation of it, but I'm led to believe there was a fair amount of Defoe stuff that could have been in that, but ultimately it wasn't. And the only bit of Defoe that was actually in that show is him setting up 0-9 against against Fleetwood. Um, we'll come on to bits maybe that we, we wish we'd seen more of, but that would have been interesting. I don't know if I wanted to see more, 
But I think it would have been interesting to see that. Even just if you could have got Wee Philly in doing the pairing store bit, that would have been worth it alone. They had a few podcasts in there. Didn't put us in. That's all right. That's not a problem. I suppose I duffed it in season two with me uh, with me audition, I guess. But um, I've not hold it. Does Brad, does Brad not get a clip in? Does he? Oh, I never noticed that. Does Brad get in? He, he does actually. He does, yeah. There's a, clip, there's, an, there's an audio clip of Brad about halfway through episode two. I think. Well, they never asked me for that. <laughs> I want me royalties now. Now, this has completely changed the whole aspect of the podcast. <laughs> but, Greg, but my, wage, was... my wages have gone from 20 pence to 40 pence. Now you've got a celebrity on. <laughs> <laughs> Unless that was one of your BBC Newcastle appearances, Brad, you never know. Possibly. Um, Big time. Trying to be. Um, Tons of players in it as well, Lee. And I think what's probably the most interesting aspect of it is the fact that a lot of them were still really current. If you'd released it a few weeks earlier, you had all of them, apart from one, I think, would have been current players. So tons of Patrick Roberts, Jack Clark, uh, Pritch, O'Neill, of course, um, was in it. Loads of Ross Stewart in it, which made my heart ache like never before. Um, they all had huge parts to play through like season three and, and some of them in, in season two that I've mentioned there as well. What did you make of you know those players and the part they played in the third season? And was there anyone that out of those list of players I've mentioned or players that were in the show that came across particularly well? Um, and you actually maybe got a surprise at what kind of they were like in front of the camera? I think the one that sticks out for me the most is due to his age and his career was Jack Clark. For because for a very, very young boy, he's got a very, very mature head on his shoulders, which you would hope in the future might stand well for Sunderland. But if the way he talked, the way he presented himself, I don't know if it was just because it was in front of the camera, but he seemed he didn't seem like a 22, 21 year old boy. He looked like he was he was like 26, 27 experienced lad. And it surprised me because obviously I thought like the way he plays, he's a maverick. I thought he might have been one of these young boys where it's like He's a little slightly a bit immature, but he wasn't. He's like the total opposite. And you could, uh, it surprised me a lot the way he I, the way he presented himself. And it was quite pleasing about it as well. And saying, like, obviously, you can tell him and Pat Roberts are awfully close. And you, you can see how gutted he was when he got dropped in the playoff final as well. And, like, again, he's mature ahead, as I said, like, he understood the reason why after like and everything like that he didn't throw his toys out of the pram he understood it and he shows that he really really cares about the football club and he's not just here as a stepping stone for his career which you're hoping in the future does stand well for us I think um, the bit when he was with Roberts and he was speaking to the people in that like it was like a community centre um, and getting like an understanding of what it meant to someone, for someone just to win a game on the weekend do you know what I mean like and he was only on loan at that point, which Brad's just brought up in the chat. That he was only on loan at that point. He didn't. And I like the fact that he seemed quite sad when he's like, oh, you watch things about Sunderland and you hear about like things that weren't going too well and you think, I'm going to come here and it's going to be fine. And then the manager gets sacked in two days and all this sort of thing happens. And you're like, ah, um, this is maybe going to be just another one of those loan moves where it goes wrong. Um and I thought he's like striking honesty. That was really good. But I think at the same time that he's maybe thinking that and then still going to, it was the the Easter and veterans he went to. That was right. Um, 
and when you went and spoke to them about their the sort of daily life and stuff with Andrew Camus, who was obviously part of season one, season two, really, really good bloke. I came back uh, with him on the coach from uh, Gillingham away where we got beat in the last minute and really, really lovely bloke comes across exactly as he is on the show. Um, and I think, I felt like, I don't know, you can see when players are switching off and not listening. And when I was watching that, I know they've got the camera on and stuff, but Clark, he did really seem to understand what these people were chatting about. And he was really interested about the community and what it meant to them and stuff like that. Um, I wanted to ask one more thing before going to a quick break and come back for a second part. Cause we want to make this a long one because it's, it's hard to get through everything in half an hour like we normally do. Um, but one really big, uh, big bit that stuck out for me, Ross, was... Pritchard talking about Lee Johnson. That was really, really, really interesting. He was wrong, but I think it gave us an insight into Alex Pritchard at a time when he's just left the club. What did he? What did he make of the whole Pritchard stuff and talking about Johnson? <clears throat> yeah, he was very opinionated, wasn't he? He didn't hold back. So without being like annoying and in your face with it, I thought he just said what you actually thought. I, I thought he came across quite well with it, despite the fact. He was completely wrong about Lee Johnson. <laughs> yeah, he was, but at the same time, it shows that he's probably not afraid to stand up and say what he thinks to those above him, and that's probably where all of this has ended up. Him going back to going to Birmingham back with Mowbray because he's not, if he thinks something's not right, if it's right or wrong, he's going to say it anyways. Um, but I thought, like you say, he came across all right. I think it was. It was a bit bittersweet with him as well. But yeah, he um what well, one thing I'm gonna be people be like, Oh, you're bitter as hell, but it was nice to remember what it was like when he used to take a free kick and he used to go over the wall and with the days in League One. Um <laughs> if I'm being a bitter man, but no, it was I say you mentioned there about Richard saying about Johnson. It's actually surprising how many people were against that sacking in hindsight. Because you look at how much he's stunk the place out everywhere he's been since. Like he got sacked by Fleetwood, man. Like how? In the nicest way possible. You know, even Joey Barton did well there, the little shit. And like, you know what I mean? It's I. Uh, it's I'm going off on tangents, but yeah, Pritchard came across all right, but very opinionated, and you can see why being so outright there in his opinions. And it was also interesting that when they mentioned like the leaders in the dressing room. He wasn't actually one that was really brought up much, was he? Which was surprising, given yeah. he was one of the senior members. And I think a lot of people since then have said he was in that as well. Um, it was really interesting. I've seen that Pritchard bit the day he left because I got sent a clip. And like before I got sent the preview, they said, look, we've got a couple of clips if you want to watch them, but you can't post them anywhere. And one of them was Pritchard talking about Johnston. And I was like, have you done this on purpose just to boggle my head for the day or what? Um but we're going to pop into a little break. We're going to come back and chat about lovely Luke. Um, a little bit more about the other part of the season that we really enjoyed. Uh, probably tug on my heartstrings a little bit with Ross Stewart. Um, but hopefully enjoyed season one. Uh, sorry, not season one. Part one of our review of season three. Um, and hopefully you join us on the, the flip side.
Hello and welcome back to the second part of our Song Until I Die Season 3 review. Um, if you're joining us at this point, hope you enjoyed part one, I guess. Um, we're going to go through a little bit more in-depth stuff in terms of like the, the season, our favourite bits and, and, and loads of other stuff. Um, but we ended season, uh, sorry, part one of season three's review on the place that stuck out. We've touched a bit on Pritchard and we've touched a bit on Jack Clark. Um, Brad, I wanted to ask you a little bit about the other players that were involved in the show as well, because I think ultimately they're the ones that we're most interested in and have been obsessed with since we were like, what, five or six years old because they wear red and white shirt. Um, I thought 09 was absolutely outstanding. Um, just brilliant TV and like it just reaffirmed why I absolutely love them. But I also found the Ross Stewart stuff really hard. I think Ross Stewart's probably been my favourite Sunderland player of the past like 10 years. And I think seeing how buzzing he was to play for Sunderland and how happy he was like just to be involved with such a massive club tugged on the heartstrings a bit. But um, yeah, talk to me about 09 and, and Ross Stewart. What were your thoughts? Um, Yeah, pretty much the same. It's just, you just realise why you love them or why we loved Ross when he was here. Um, but I think it, with Luke, it epitomised exactly why we've loved him from pretty much the start of being here. He just, he appreciates the position he's in from where he's came from and managed to come to a club like Sunderland, albeit we're in League One, the same league Wickham were in at the time as well. Um, but I think he just, every single day he, he wakes up and he understands that he's living a dream of 40, 45,000 people that turn up and watch him every week. And it was nice when he was injured. I, I don't know if it's just been edited in this way because when he was injured now for a while, it went to shite. And it seemed like when he came back, look, spoilers now because people better have watched it. When he came back, it seems like when he got that goal against Fleetwood, then we went on this amazing run and it was because of him. Um, but everything about Luke, just how hard he works, how true to himself he is, is just great to see more in depth, more off the field as well. He's a proper family man, always talks about his kids, which is nice. Um, and then the Ross Stewart thing, you don't realize he was like he didn't have that luxury of coming through academies or anything like that, he was playing. Who was it? I can't even remember the name of the team. And his father had to pay the money to get him transferred. He was winning juniors about half an hour down the road from me. And then he went down to went to Albion, didn't he? Albion Rovers for one thousand um, five hundred, yeah, and had to raise five hundred quid to <laughs> transfer which, which really, me being an Airdrie boy, is a little bit of a derby there. So <laughs> yeah, he played for one of one of my family's team's rivals, <laughs> Corpridge. Um. But just to see he's came, how he's had to work extra hard to get where he is because he said himself it was so easy just to give up and he had to start again and he got his big move and he's got his next big move after that. Um, yeah, they both came across really well. It's just nice to see players who are on there. If you go back to season one, season two is a bit better from the players' point of view, but season one... You, you were talking about the likes of Rodwell and that were just mercenaries on the club. It was nice to get in-depth look at the players that were representing our football club and showing the world that they're just normal human beings who appreciate what the hand they've been given in life. 
and I think a lot of people can sort of um what's the word I'm looking for, Grim? They can sort of connect with that. Yeah. Thing and yeah, they can appreciate it. They're very humble. That's what I would like. I, I think they both get everyone in the series came across very humble. I think, you know, when you're looking at, and I'm not like, because we do a podcast that, that talks about like football players and we've called probably each one player worse than shite after one game. So I'm not exonerating us from it um, or anyone from it. But I think, you know, you see, especially with Pritchard and Stewart recently, both players that have left the club. And I think there's a, a lot of people that's been nice about the, both of them. Um, and the same with O'Nine, but there, there's always a, a segment of players of people, sorry, that have like criticised Stewart's move and criticised Pritchard's move and criticised their their personalities. And I know a TV show can dramatise and make someone look very good, but I really would struggle to watch that show and not look at like O'Neill, Ross Stewart, and even Pritchard to an extent, and not want them to do really well just in life in general. Because you sort of, for me. One of my overriding thoughts, I mean, I love Ross Stewart. Like, I don't think I've ever said a bad word about Ross Stewart, to be honest. Like, period. I don't think I've ever said a bad word. In my eyes, he never had a bad game for us, I don't think. But I think when you're watching, you realise what he's probably going through at the moment with his, with his injury and you really feel for him. And you just hope that those players come back and, and do really well. And look, I wish it was in the red and white stripes or something. Of course I do, but it's not. Um, but I think there was another player we missed out, which was... Lyndon Gooch, which was a, a massive part of the series. Um, but Ross, I wanted to kind of throw the next one over to you a little bit. Um, Gucci was probably the one that wanted a single out on purpose because, look, I know he's from like California or something, but he's from Sunderland. And it was an interesting time to watch Lyndon Gooch's part, considering the time that we were recording that. He didn't know if he was staying or not. And it was like do or die for him to get Sunderland up or his career to him. And he's head the way he was coming across. It was like he'd let Sunderland down. He'd only have experienced relegations. How interesting was that part for you with Gucci? Yeah, it seemed to uh, weigh a lot on him, didn't it? Like You could mm-hmm. see the relief after after the win at Wembley. Um, but like in the build-up room, when they're speaking to him on the beach or his family... He's not as like forthcoming as the other lads who seem a bit more not relaxed, but a bit more I don't know calm about the situation. I think and like understand it where you could tell with him it meant more. Like I don't know what it is. It just it just it weighed heavy on him, and obviously all of that. Pre it was shown for him previously. He was part of both theories and the both failures, and he didn't want that to be the way he ended at Sunderland. And I, I honestly think that. It was it was a surprise more it's not a surprise now known like obviously he went the air he had one more season with us in the championship then left again. But it's actually quite surprising that he even had that year in the championship looking at that because I think he knew that he wasn't gonna be here long and it was pretty much over. And you get that vibe, don't you, from the way he's speaking about his situation. Um but yeah, it was good. Like I say, it was good to see the backstory with him being friends with members of staff as well, outside of football, like close family members and that. And like you say, he's he's a he's a Mac now, basically. You know, and he says as much himself. But I think the overriding factor is the shift from season one to two was massive, and everything going on. But three, you really see the foundations of the how the culture has changed in the dressing room. 
you mentioned before about like the bad eggs, etc. But the total culture change in not just getting players who are going to be young and valuable assets and to get us promoted, but the people do a lot more due diligence on them. Like, let's be honest, we haven't employed a prick for a while, which is nice. You know what I mean? You always see, well, you always, you always sign players, and well, they're assholes in training. They're always kicking off in town. Like, touch wood, but we've signed some good eggs, and I feel like that is a culture change that has been massive for the club to be successful in what we're doing at the moment on the pitch. Um, and like I say, all the players have come across really well. But the Gucci one was, I was really, like you say, his emotions on the pitch at Wembley were brilliant, weren't they? It was just like he was just like a fan on the pitch, wasn't he? And yeah. That's all it was. Yeah, hundred percent. And I think, yeah, I've, I've always love Gucci, um, just because he's kind of the blueprint for what I expect from a Sunderland player, which is just hundred percent commitment. Um, Lee, I want to kind of throw this one to you a bit. Um, we've touched on the difference between the seasons, but season one was very fan heavy because the players were mercenaries, a lot of them. Um, the good ones that were there at the time, like O'Shea, Catamore, it was at the worst time that they'd be in Sunderland, they'd have much better times. So it was very fan heavy and it was good from that perspective because that was the worst season in our living memory, I think. And those fans on there just kept going and doing what needed to be done and just plowing on with it. Whereas season two was, if you, in the nicest possible way, maybe characters that were within the club at that point. Um how good of a balance do you think that they've struck in season three by making sure they haven't got rid of what was really good about season one without completely forgetting about the characters within the club like that we just spoke about? How good do you think the balance was between the two on this particular season? I thought it was the perfect balance because you had the the determination and the the love of the fan base and the focus on the fan base without losing the intrigue of what goes on behind the scenes of the football club. And I say I thought it was the perfect balance and none of the other thing outweighed the other, if that makes sense. Um and I think it flowed per I think it flowed perfectly because you'd go from one thing where we like the, the boardroom stuff and the bathroom stuff, then it would it would sway to the, the fan perspective, then you'd have a lot of segments about the fan perspective. And I I thought the balance was Really, really, better. it's a lot better. It's a lot better than season two. I think season two tried to do it, but they have like a balance between the boardroom stuff and the fans, but it was more focused on the boardroom stuff. But I think in this season, you had everything that was good from a fan perspective. Season one, as well as the intrigue of season two, which I thought was I thought was really, really good. In terms of the season itself, do you think Brad? Out of the three seasons, there was a particular character, be it player, be it staff member, be it just a fan, that you connected with more than anyone else? Uh, good question, that one. Um, in this season, I would... Mm, the easy answer would be Luke O'Neill, because <laughs> just being a normal human being, but for me, it was maybe it was Patrick Roberts. Um, and without me sounding too emotional and too, like, tugging at the heartstrings, it's, you sort of get the sense that he wasn't accepted at many places he's been to. And I think a lot of people can sort of relate to that. 
um, in aspects of their life. And when you do get accepted by somewhere, you sort of you see the best, the better side of you and that you get the best out of you. And I believe that's what happened with Patrick Roberts. So for me, it, 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 and, and it's another one as well, you've got to remember, technically, I think it was he thought, we same as Jack Clark. Jack Clark was on loan, but Roberts was like, we'd bought him, didn't we? But he'd only been there a couple of months when they've brought the cameras out. And instantly you just thought, he gets the club, he loves the club. And he appreciates what he's got in life. And I, I felt a lot of connect to that as well. Um, because look, without going too deep, I've, I've been in times in my life where I've not felt appreciated or wanted or anything like that. And that seems like the career Patrick Roberts has had. And then to go somewhere where you are appreciated uh, with the, with people that do appreciate you, it's, it is nice to see that side of him. Um, so yeah, I think for me, that the one that I would connect with the most would be Patrick Roberts. I thought the the Robert stuff was really good actually. The idea of not having a home and it sort of it was that bit when it showed you like his loan moves and I was like, oh, you, I thought he'd been on like on loan like two or three times, like taking out the couple of seasons he spent at Celtic. But he was like out for ages at different clubs like Girona and like Twa and Alawa the shop and Norwich Borough Derby and I'm thinking bloody hell that he actually never. He probably played for more clubs in like the space of three or four seasons than some people will play for in their career. And I think it made me even more pleased that he'd connected with here so much and he'd achieved so much here already. Um, I still think he's got plenty more to achieve, Patrick Roberts as well. But yeah, I agree. I think I think he also came across incredibly well. Um, same question towards you, Ross. Was there a particular character, be that a player, be that a manager, be that um, a chairman, whatever it may be, that you you connected with most? I'm going to assume over the three seasons that you're not going to say Charlie Meth then, so we can count him out. But is there anyone else that you connected with specifically? Um, not one in particular, but it was it was good seeing um. Sorry, I'm not very good at remembering the names, but the one where his young lad followed him around and he's been to Wembley loads and he's seen us lose. And then he finally sees us win and he's like nearly 18. <laughs> he's ready to get the, around him. Is that the one with the... um? Like These kids got like ginger hair. Yeah, I think so, yeah. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's, yeah. I think uh, I think that's Andrew, I think from the, the veterans. And I found it funny that as kid, when it showed you like him the first time we went to Wembley, and he's like, "Oh, Dad, I'm really sad." And then the next time it showed, he's like, "All right, Dad, I'm really sad." <laughs> <laughs> and then he then he finally got to see us win at Wembley, and he was an adult. Um, that kind of summed up how long it had been and the trauma that would went under at Wembley. Um, but yeah, I think overall, like all watching the fans go to the match and seeing where we went from, and basically had no hope when the results were bad and then you can just see we're getting a few results and people start to go well you know we might win the playoffs we might get the playoffs but you never know you know what we're like at Wembley and then it comes to Wembley and we're getting, everyone knows it's Wickham and everyone's like I think we might do it I don't know I think we might they can tell everybody's really thinking we're going to win but there's that bit inside of them going nah we never win at Wembley and it's just <laughs> I just remember feeling the exact same way Um and it was good seeing Ainsworth's face like smacked off after we won as well. I thought I'd point, put that bit in, you know. Um, 
But I, I think just following the the fans round, um, they just you know they just well, they just wanted us to be us win at Wembley, and you could the build up to it was brilliant. And you actually forget how tense it was in the lead up to the Morgan game. Like I'd, I forgot how close it was. Like it's mental, isn't it? You forget that we we one way from Broadhead goal away from not even getting in the playoffs. And also, I know we went off on a tangent. Elliot Embleton is so forgotten about how much of a big part he played in that team. Getting them there and the final, like people need to start putting a bit more respect on his name. He's a local lad, and I just don't think he gets anywhere near enough credit for that season where other players do. Yeah, just want to jump in there as well and say I'm thinking about people who have been on the series. Someone that was quite prominent on season two, I think she was, and I loved the tribute that they done on this season to Louise Wanless that they didn't leave her out of this season. Um, she got a big mention in it. And I think, I mean, the outpouring of grief when, when she did pass, unfortunately. But you've seen all different clubs' Twitters coming in saying how much they like respected her and loved her for everything that she'd done for when they came to the stage of my light and things like that. And I thought it was a lovely fitting tribute that she wasn't forgotten in this series as well because she did play a big part in season two. Or she, not massive, but she was there and you, you did see her quite a lot. So I think it was quite nice that the the lads at Football 73, when they've made this, have put her into that and didn't forget the time when they made her put a shirt in the dressing room. You see the kit man, he was like doing the, the printing for her name. They put the name in the dressing room, they bought a shirt out at Wembley and things like that. So I think we need to take a couple of seconds there just to remember that. Like obviously she, she passed away during some happy times at the club well when we were about to be billed to be the end of this series which I think if she was still here she'd have played a massive part in it and you'd have seen the smiles on her face so I just wanted to bring her up in that one as well I thought that Kipman was great with that as well taking the shirt and his idea um, someone who's just about to leave the club as well I believe um, after his, his service and I think when you look at Louise Wanless, I, I think I met her twice and it wasn't like meeting really. It was just in the same vicinity as. And, but the one memory I do sort of have of her, which is a really small one, and like I say, I, I didn't actually physically meet her just in the same room, but first time I ever interviewed Kevin Ball, he swore in an interview and he went, oh, can I say that? I went, well, aye, it's fine. Like, it's not a problem. Like, I've got no issue with you swearing on it. Like, as long as you're happy for me to write it down, I'm not bothered. And he went, okay, I think it's okay, but I'm just going to text Louise just to make sure she's happy with it. And if Kevin Ball respects you, I think that shows you the level that she's respected throughout the club because if Mr. Sunland needs to check something with you, if he's Mr. Sunland, then not that they were married, but she's obviously definitely was Mr. Sunland as well. But I agree, actually. That was a really, really good part. A um, couple more things to sort of go through. Um, I'll check this one to you, Ross, and then I'll check the next one to you, Brad. But um, those games against Sheffield Wednesday, as much as it was League One, and it was like the worst time in our history. The home game, the away game, and then Wembley, of course, were some of the best memories I've probably ever had as a Sunderland fan. Mixed in with relief, mixed in with just unadulterated joy and oh my god we've actually done something that's not very Sunland. that home game against Sheffield United when they played ready, uh, Sheffield Wednesday sorry when they played the ready to go on, I was literally like Phew, aye 
I think we're doing this like, and I've never felt really felt like that with something that's tend to be the opposite. Um, as a TV show, it's kind of hard to capture that because you can dramatize what you want. You can edit what you like. You can do whatever you want. It's really hard to capture what those moments can mean to people. How well do you think they did capture both those semi-finals against Sheffield Wednesday and, of course, uh, the final? Um, well, the first semi-final at home, I wasn't there. So, for me, that I wouldn't, like, you know, if I could say I was oh, I captured that perfectly. But from an outside, obviously, I watched it on the telly in Mexico. But then when I was watching the series, I was like, the build-up to it, they got it really right. Like, they really built it up as, like, everybody's talking about it. This is a massive game. Like the, uh, the under the cosh lads talking about it as well afterwards. Like they were, Chris Brown was like, that was that's how I remember Sunderland. Like that's what supporting Sunderland was all about, and it captured it perfectly. Um, second leg, the footage of them lads again in the way end, and also on the side of the pitch when everything was happening. And the way that what I liked about it is the players and management talking through the games not just showing them and then that was it. They're describing every bit of it, the process behind it, what Alex Neal, like, the best thing I could do was do nothing. Like, I thought that was a great bit. So he was like, I believed in everything we did and I absolutely loved that Barry Bannon's a prick like we all thought he was and that Luke O'Neill just had him basically and it was brilliant. Like, when we scored and you just see him going up to his face at the end and, like, Luke O'Neill was like, yeah, we had the last laugh and just smiling away. Um, Aye, brilliant. I think, like say, the semi-finals, I thought they were done perfectly. Um, and Wembley, what they did really well was that they focused on the goals of the game, but they didn't focus on much else apart from the fans because that's what we basically took it over. And it was nice to to see that, that was. it just looked like it was basically an invasion and that's all they focused on, like people travelling down, how they felt beforehand, everyone decked out in the Wembley shirts and that, and it just, yeah, it... it, it I think they encapsulated the mood of both, of both the games really well and the focus on the right part, in my opinion. No, what I liked about the Wembley bit, well, I don't know if you've seen it, but was when there was Jordan and the fans singing Can't Help Falling In Love. The camera went on to Niall Quinn and Peter Reid and their hands were in the air and they were singing along as well. Um, and if you, well, you follow the Arsenal fans, they know who they are. And I think some people who are maybe from afar and have just seen it as a Netflix documentary, if they could appreciate who them two guys are and what they used to be at the club and probably still are as well, they'll appreciate how much that will have meant to us as well, seeing them actually up singing with the fans. That was amazing. Yeah, I really liked that bit, actually. And there's little bits coming back to me here. like, And that's kind of where I wanted to ask about you know, your favourite part throughout, um, just as we kind of close this out. But before I do, tell you what was really poignant in the show. Uh, Chris Brown obviously plays a big part in it. Um, he's got under the cosh. Some of these footages used from under the cosh. And it's odd, years and years and years ago, I had interviewed him for a different um, podcast that we'd done. And he was like, look, I'm coming back to Sunderland to see like a game. I'm coming back to actually watch it the first time I've been back since I left because it hurt leaving. Would you like to come? I've, I've got a spare. And I was like, well, yeah, of course. That game turned out to be Burton. And when he talks about it and he says, like, I went back and it was just toxic and I couldn't go back. 
I remember like he felt like that at the time. Like it's not like put on in any way, shapes or the form. He was just like, oh my God, this is what has happened. This is where it's at. And hearing him go to Sheffield right away and like Wembley and he went, I feel like a fan again. I know you're there through the bad times and the good times and there'll be some people going, well, you know, you go there the bad times as well. But I think it encapsulated the feeling of how it felt the sports tournament at the time. It felt just awful. It was duty bound. It wasn't joy. It was just duty bound. Like there was three games I went to in a row. Ipswich, Brentford, Aston Villa at home in that period. And we were 2-0 down before half time in every game. And I wasn't angry. I wasn't shocked. I wasn't, I was just like, all oh, right. And like, you've seen people going, oh, I've had enough of this, going home, early doors. But you see most people just stay there, just like defiantly and be like, wait, we're shite. But it was awful. Um, and I think that was encapsulated by the first season. And I think the fact that season three showed you those same people but happy and that being duty bound and powering on through the shite was sort of worth it just for like that one day at Wembley just sums it up really well and it's odd because I listened back to our Wembley podcast and I remember when I recorded it on the train um because I'd forgot to record it in the ground and I kind of tried to sum up my feelings and I thought people are going to hate this because it's just me and the me on the train chatting and like it's funny now because when I listen back to it I can hear how happy I am in my voice and the relief and like, oh my God, I'm so pleased that I'm summoned. And I feel like that third episode in season three is like that for everyone. Not just the way, like we all have our own story of how that felt at the time. And it's so wild because what all we did was get promoted from League One. But that one day just felt like it was worth it. And I feel like the way they encapsulated it's really good. Um, I think it's the best that they've done personally. I think it's absolutely fantastic um, and I don't think they could have encapsulated it any better if they tried yeah definitely I agree with that and I also think like what they did well is they showed the mix of relief total like how ecstatic everybody so was much relief. so much relief but also how, how I, thought, I, I thought as well it was quite an emotional day I think because all I could think of was I'd been to Wembley and like my uncle who's no longer with us he never got to say that day and I think a lot of people were like well like people who weren't with us have, and how many times people have watched us at Wembley and would never all that came away from it was heartbreak and everybody took the piss out of that last but was right it's never us you know what I mean like that's saying it's why is it never us and for that day and the whole weekend it was us and it was all about us and everything went right and I feel like everybody's pent up emotions just came out and happy. it was a just emotion, happiness, relief. It was everything in there. And they, ba they basically managed to encapsulate that from all the fan base. And it was really, really well done, especially in the pub after. <laughs> like me and my cousin had a chat about that Wembley day. Uh, he was sat with me in Archie and it was my cousin and his little. And it wasn't too long ago, it was only about a week and a half, two weeks ago, that we were talking about it again. And I was saying, I don't think, per on a personal level, I don't think that day will ever be topped. And we said it was only a League One playoff final. But I said, if we got there for a championship playoff final or an FA Cup final, we're not going to have 55,000 fans there. Like, literally, our our whole home crowd were there and more. Um, And I don't think we'll have that such relief where we've been down in the dumps for so long. And it was just an outpouring of emotion and so much relief that 
Now, Wembley Hoodoo was over, although we won the year before in the, the prestigious, what you, whatever they call it now, the Bristol Street Motors Trophy. Or <laughs> but I was having this point and he, he said, yeah, you're probably right. Although we could win bigger trophies and hopefully we will, or get to like a higher level, I just don't feel like there will be that full togetherness again of how everyone felt on that day. It was literally like 60,000 Sunderland fans were there, 55,000 inside the stadium. And everyone was as one. And it was like, yes, we're finally out of this league. And you can feel like a connection back towards your club. Like we're going in the right direction for once. And I think everything about that day just came together as a perfect, perfect day. And we spoke about it on the, the reaction pod after, after Wembley. It was just so emotional. And then to relive that, I stand by what I've said. I don't think that day will ever be top for me as a Sunderland fan. I have my personal reasons for it. It was the last time we won at Wembley while my granddad was still alive and being able to phone him straight after and being over the moon. But the first time I took Archie to Wembley and things like that, just on a personal note, I think being able to relive that, and now it's on Netflix, and being able to relive that every time I want to and how I felt on that day was just incredible. Yeah, 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 it was. And I think um, it's really hard to sort of put in the words up what that day meant, I think, in a way. And I think it's probably no surprise that even I feel like I'm tearing up a bit here, shit, um, just talking about it. But like, um, watching it was just bad, was brilliant. And I'd be really surprised if I hear any backlash from this tomorrow. When people listen, they're like, oh, I didn't quite get it right. I thought they got it perfect. And I think. You can tell it was made by a load of Sunderland lads who just fucking get it. Um, and I think that's what makes the series so bloody brilliant, is that it is a bunch of Sunderland lads. Yep, they may be a bit more talented at you know doing certain things. And yes, unfortunately, they may have a relationship with James Corden, which is something I don't think any of us would want. But they're Sunderland at the end of the day, and it's they do a really good fucking job. They just fucking get it. <laughs> um, James Corden's going to play Charlie Methvin in this movie spin-off. <laughs> Who's going to play me? <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Brad Pitt, probably. Um, nah, you'd want longer than four minutes, I think. Just before I let you go, um, I just want to do, you know, what your favourite part was. Uh, Ross, I'll, I'll give that to you. What was your, your favourite part of the entire series? Um, Honestly, I think it might sound very, I don't know, maybe think really of that, but... Patrick Roberts and Jack Clark with the veterans just speaking about life and just made me really proud that we've both we've still got both them lads in our squad now. Like you say, they were on loan at the time or on a six-month contract fighting for the career. They've not just found a home here, but they've 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 absolutely, it's totally like, you know what I mean, they've all bought into it. They've been brilliant on the pitch for us. And it just I think if anything encapsulates what we're all about as a club now on the pitch and the culture we brought into it off it with the community that was it and um, yeah it was really touching and it was good to see two young lads who were humble like was said but they're also the talent showed on that pitch and they were so in belief of what they were doing the Sheffield Wednesday game and um, but I was creased as well when um, they were on about the Sheffield Wednesday game and Jack Locke's like, yeah, yeah, I was shushing people. It was great. And then I, and someone tried to chin us on the way out. 
that was a good fit. I think mine was also around the Sheffield United game and one oh nine says and Barry Banning. Wednesday, you've 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 said Sheffield United a few times here. I think Sheffield Wednesday fans are gonna be livid. I didn't give a shit. I couldn't care less. They're not something at the end of the day ever. Uh, we beat both Sheffields in playoff semi-finals and they're both class days as well. So uh, I they can they can shove it. I don't care. Um Barry Bannon, who plays for one of the Sheffield teams, apparently, he um when he says, Oh, you're gonna have to do more than that to stop me, and on I goes, I thought, yeah, game on. I was just like it was that moment when I was like, God, I love that bloke. Um, and ultimately, that's what it's about, being nearly 40 and loving men who wear a jersey that is red and white and has a sun and badge on it, isn't it, ultimately? Um, I think that topped it for me because we've touched on it a bit before, but even when it's been to- really tough recently, I've never really felt like anger at players. And I think that's because there's a bunch of lads that I think just get it. I've said that twice now. The people who made the show get it and the people who were involved in it, I think, get it in terms of the players on the pitch. And um, yeah, for me, 09 was fantastic on that bit. But Brad, I introduced you last. You get the last word because Lee's gone back to work. Um, what was your favourite bit? My cameo, obviously. Uh, Which um, I didn't even notice. No, it was that good. When is it? It just, it just, it just blended somewhere in episode two, I think. About then. Um, no, on a serious one. It's just it's going to sound boring, but it was the minute Ross Stewart's goal went in because that was the and I can relive that moment over and over. And I know I can watch it on YouTube, but that's just me watching it. And now I know that everyone's going to be seeing it. At that moment, I just knew we've done it, and I could enjoy the last twenty minutes of that game. And that, that, that'll stick with me. And then when he's running off in the corner, you can see me lifting our Archie up in the air and he's getting absolutely mad as well. Um, but I think that was my favourite because of how I felt at that time and I couldn't keep reliving it and I still get goosebumps watching it and talking about it. And it's rare that you can have a moment like that in life. And now it's there for everyone to see. And I think, I think that moment as well for people who are just watching it as a neutral not as a Sunderland fan or not as a rival. Someone who's watching it and watching it from day dot. I think that moment as well, they will get it and they will get that a very similar feeling, not to the same levels as we did. But I think at that moment, they'll also go, oh, yeah, and they'll feel happy as well. So I think that's that's my moment there because obviously when you see Stuart running off and all the players chasing him and then all the fans going absolutely divvy in that corner, I think everything about that just epitomises what Sunderland are. Aye. <laughs> That's a nice wee long pause there. But um, yeah, I think before we go, ultimately, I think you can tell we've really enjoyed it and probably really enjoyed reminiscing about it, which is kind of the reason we did it, to be honest. Um, but I think the bit at the end was really poignant as well. I think I had no idea um, Ian Wake had died and I thought he was a really good part of the of the series in general. Um, and I think seeing his story right up until that end was, was really hard to watch actually, um, but also really nice at the same time. But um, 
yeah, it was the it felt like the perfect way to end that roster, didn't it? Yeah, so bittersweet because like you say, he was a great character. Um he was just like you know what I mean, when he was on about like I have downsized to make sure I'm still down the match, you know what I mean? Like he just did everything to watch some of the SC and he was so pleased that he got to see the Wembley, how chuffed he was and how happy he was that everyone else got to see the Wembley. He did, wasn't just like, oh, I'm buzzing, I got to see it. He was buzzing that the people he went with got to see it and he made sure he put that point across. And yeah, it was, um, I choked up, I cried, man. I sat in the city and cried. Um, and it's it's so relatable, isn't it? And it's proved that, you know, you you swim until you die and the way the series, again, like the series ended, it's so bittersweet now what happened, but it encapsulates the name of the series, but also the whole feeling about it all. And they couldn't, obviously they would never have wanted this to happen, but the way the scripts went, again, from a series point of view, when you're watching it, it just, and the fact that they ended it, we saying that this was all in his memory, I think it just went, you know, it's, it's it's really, and I think as well, on a personal level, his family can go back on them and watch, watch him having some of the best moments at the end of his life, like the last year of his life, and they've got that forever now. They can go and watch that and see the great person that he was, enjoying watching Southern DFC, which he absolutely loved. Yeah, perfect. That was. Yeah, absolutely perfect. Like I, I put in the group, didn't I? As soon as I watched it, that that ending really got me and. Again, from a, it's like a personal bit. It was so raw from losing my granddad and the words that the vicar was saying. No, the reverend, sorry. Um, it just it brought out like an outpouring of emotion and showing that really we are someone until we die, but someone will keep living on. And that every, you know, it's like, just like a community club and seeing everyone that went along to his funeral and things, it was very touching. Um, and like you say, when they put this picture at the end and said, it was dedicated to him and they had the minutes applause and things like that. It was just, it was bittersweet, but a beautiful way to end. Yeah, it was brilliant. And I think I'll leave it at that. Um, well done, Football 73. Well done, everyone involved in the show. It was it was fantastic. Uh, subscribe if you want to us, but you don't have to. Yeah, back to football next. I'm not going to be a, a movie <laughs> critic anymore. <laughs>